long, sleek warships crafted from oak crashing through waves. The sailors' strength alone brought the ship to land fast. Men poured onto the sands armed with weapons they've picked up along their travels like spears, blades, or battle axes. Onward they would run, their destination being the monasteries they've learned keep the valuable goods they desire like gold, silver, gems, food, livestock, and the monks to sell into slavery. You're probably imagining a Viking. But the word Viking we all know and use today to describe the ruthless adventurers is wrong, as the word Viking is a verb and means to go on an expedition. History has made us believe that these men and women from the north were pirates, vicious rapists who kill on sight, slaughtering those too weak to defend themselves. It's written in first-hand accounts, but those only tell part of the story. These Northmen founded colonies and developed trade routes becoming the most prosperous routes in the world. Centuries before Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492, Northmen tackled the Atlantic Sea. Their entire culture built around their sailing vessels, bigger and lighter than any before. Their ability to travel through storms and through shallow rivers improved their raiding abilities. These people used their knowledge of the sea and coasts while Europe was still only a scattering of kingdoms unable to defend themselves. It was easier and faster for the Northmen to travel by sea for five days to the same destination than by land, which takes several months. Their life on the long boats was not glamorous. With no shelter, they would use the sails as tents. With only salty preserved meats for sustenance on top of the constant knowledge their vessels could sink at any point with no rescue available, it's no surprise these people were gruff and rough around the edges. Their oars were placed and used for speed when near a coast, and stored when out to sea. Navigation without good maps was also an issue. Before some of the great explorers like Magellan, Columbus, or even Leif Erikson, these early Northmen would use their experience and pass down knowledge to navigate the seas. The position of the sun and stars guided their direction, while the movement of the waves told them where they were and pushed them along. Fun fact, a cool device called a sun shadow board was used at noon to check whether the ship was on course, and a sunstone could be used on foggy days. This stone would change colors to indicate the position of the sun behind the clouds. Many stories of the Viking raids followed the same plot. They arrived in the dead of night, unseen by the locals. Too late for anyone in their path, they would storm the monasteries. Those inside would scream for help, the demons are here, they're coming! Others would collect what they could, hiding items in their robes. The Northmen, breaking down the doors, bigger than any man the monks had ever seen, with their blonde hair and crystal blue eyes, wielding the largest weapons. Some monks begged for mercy, others never had the chance. No negotiations were had. Those who escaped, watched as their brothers were massacred, thrown out the doors of their homes, or the sea walls, or just plainly killed where they stood. As quickly as they arrived, they left. The year 793 brought on the raid of the Christian monastery at Lindisfarne. It was a holy land off the northeast coast of England, and in the Middle Ages was a mass of Christian evangelicalism. The exposed buildings the Northmen knew held valuables were too good to pass up. These quick, violent raids moved across England, and by 855, the great heathen army had arrived in East Anglia. The Northmen, or Scandinavians as we now know, invaded all across the coasts of Ireland, Scotland, and England. No matter the reason, 
they left scars on the land and those who survived. Besides their seafaring abilities, the Northmen prevailed in battles over and over again for several reasons. Their preparation for raids was never done half-heartedly. They had the fastest ships, but also a gumption no one had ever seen before. Their speed on the waves and their drive as a whole left no time for areas being invaded to call for help. They would gather the horses to keep on the ships till they reached land, so their land travels increased as well. Their use of guerrilla warfare was unprecedented. The surprise raids with superior weapons left no survivors, except for those they kept to sell. After the raids were done, the Northmen would loot and burn the monasteries and surrounding buildings. After traveling, raiding, and being away from home for so long, the Northmen would begin developing civilizations. These would have trade points surrounding the settlements. Pillaging may have been a quick intake of wealth, but it was not sustainable. To build a civilization, the Northmen dedicated time and effort to the land, and developed prosperous trade routes. Their specialty trading ships could carry up to 35 tons of cargo, including gold, silver, jewels, relics, and livestock. Along the Baltic Sea in the 8th century, trade markets popped up and people traveled from all over to participate. These markets flourished in Burka, Sweden, Kapong, Norway, and Hedeby, Denmark. They also prospered in the British Isles, in York, and Dublin. The 9th century saw a rise in Viking raids, but it also saw the start of religious changes in the Northmen. For the most part, the areas that were being raided were Anglo-Saxon, while the Northmen were pagan. These Anglo-Saxon civilizations called the British Isles home for over 400 years. They were teetering on collapse. The raiders were no longer satisfied with crops and gold. Wessex stood alone, unable to defend itself. During this turbulence, the king at the time, Æthelwulf, had a wife, Osbur, who was giving birth to their fifth son. This fifth son would go on to become Alfred the Great, changing the Anglo-Saxons' fortunes forever. Alfred the Great, before the Great was added, was raised learning to ride, hunt, and hawk. But most importantly, he was taught how to kill with a sword and defend himself with a shield. But that's not all he was taught in his youth. His father was very interested in scholarly arts like poetry, and his mother encouraged this form of education. Up through adulthood, Alfred loved poetry just as his father had. While Alfred was a child and unable to read, his mother challenged him and his four brothers to memorize their father's illuminated book of Anglo-Saxon poetry. The first boy to memorize the entire book would be allowed to keep it. Unable to read, though, Alfred asked a teacher of his to read him every word over and over and over again, until he was able to recite the book word for word. By a young age, Alfred showed that if he wanted something, nothing would stand in his way. While Alfred was still young, but an adult by their standards, an army of Northmen came upon the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of East Anglia in 855. The stories of bloodshed and horror flooded his father's court and terrified many as they feared these armed monstrous men were unbeatable. But Alfred knew better. All of his teachings in combat skills and academic learnings taught him that no enemy was undefeatable. The Viking war host led by Halfdan and Ivar the Boneless invaded Northumbria, looted York, and came back to East Anglia. They captured King Edward, killed him in a display of power, and sacrificed him to their pagan gods. 
Alfred knew that these war-hungry people would soon reach Wessex, so he and his brother Aethelred rode out to meet the Horde in open battle. They brought their men to a standstill, meeting the Northmen, who did not expect the red-hot anger Alfred carried with him. Alfred's army tore through the Northmen until the field was smothered in bodies. Their success was only short-lived, though, because the following battles were lost. In 871, Alfred's brother died, so he claimed the throne. No longer able to defeat the Northmen armies, he started paying them off. But even that did not last long. And so five years into being king, Alfred locked swords with his greatest adversary, Chieftain Guthrum at Wareham. Though Guthrum was defeated and made to kneel and swear an oath of peace, he turned on Alfred, betraying him, murdering Alfred's emissaries and defeating Alfred's forces at Chippenham. Alfred barely escaped with his life. He hid in the marshes and spent months evading capture. Eventually, he held up in a peasant's home. It was later written that Alfred was so consumed by the threat to his kingdom that when he was asked by the woman he was staying with to keep an eye on the bread that was baking, he let it burn. The following story says that the woman admonished Alfred, but instead of doing what any king would do, turning their nose up at the peasant, he acted humbly and started over. Rather than turn over his kingdom to the Northmen armies, Alfred used guerrilla warfare tactics just as the Northmen had. Nailed down the enemy militia to the one last battle at Eddington. It was the greatest event in Alfred's career as king. But again, Guthrum led another huge force against the Anglo-Saxons. Hoping to smash Alfred's army, instead they ended up retreating. Alfred stood ground, the Northmen were slaughtered. Trapped and starving, Guthrum surrendered by force. Though they were defeated and forced to retreat, that did not rid the Anglo-Saxons of the Northmen entirely. There had been establishments made generations beforehand, and the Northmen had become neighbors, not raiders. So Alfred forced Guthrum to kneel, convert to Christianity, and became his godfather. Knowing more attacks on Wessex were possible, Alfred increased defenses and established laws built on the Christian Bible. Consolidating all of the Anglo-Saxons under his leadership, Alfred set course to include London, as it was the most important trade post in England. Alfred gained control by 886, and his eldest daughter married the Mercian king's son, uniting all Anglo-Saxons in England, but in a tenuous peace. This was not an easy feat, as the Anglo-Saxons were divided by honor and loyalty to kin. They were invaders before the Northmen, and the Angle and Saxon tribes came from Germany and Denmark establishing settlements through England hundreds of years before. The language barriers were enough to confuse anyone, but the Angle, Saxon, Norse, Celtic, and Latin languages combined to create the original English language. By 890, old age had caught up to Alfred, but he continued to build his realm by teaching his subjects. Translating several texts from Latin to English, Alfred also contributed to the development of the English church, earning him canonization. He died in 899 at the age of 50, passing his kingdom to his son Edward and the Anglo-Saxons would remain dominant in England for the next 167 years, until 1066, when another invasion took place, the Great Norman Invasion by William the Conqueror. <laughs>